Thanks for tuning in to the Foundry Church podcast, where our mission is to make disciples by guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. In this episode, we hear from Corey M. Carlson, author of Win at Home First. Corey is a leadership coach, podcast host, husband, and father. Corey visited the Foundry to share some wisdom and practicality for how we can be ready for what God calls us to throughout life's hills and valleys. You can find a link to the resources on Corey's website in the show notes. God bless. something that was done to you, maybe you got overlooked for a promotion, maybe someone you love said something unkind, or maybe it's something you did to yourself, you stayed up too late watching Netflix, or you just haven't been to the gym in a long time and it's just kind of on your mind, whatever the case may be, there's just times that we, we have doubts, we feel defeated, we're discouraged. And so whatever that case may be, we, it just, it's just hard to lead, and it's hard to influence anyone. The second thing I know we all have in common is we will get knocked down again. What could it look like in your life if the next time you got knocked down, you got back up again, but quicker? I want to tell you about a time that I was knocked down. This is a journal entry from April 1st, 2020. What am I supposed to do where I was knocked down and I just aggressively circled it? And so I'm going to share, share that story with you. Before we go any further, I just, I just want to pray. And, and uh, hey, dear God, just thank you for all that you've done in our lives. And, and we have been knocked down. And you are always there to help us <laughs> if we're willing to get back up. And so, Lord, I just invite you into this, this time together that it is one that is helpful everyone and that through me that Lord you'll speak to each of these individuals and what is kind of stern in their hearts so that they could step up and be obedient to you and Lord thank you for this time and this opportunity in Jesus name I pray amen well my story it starts with a taco a few years ago I was in downtown Cincinnati I was at a party and there were some appetizers lined up against the wall and so I went and grabbed a taco and as I went to take a bite of this taco it just went (laughs) up into my mouth I was like what just happened like did my brain forget to tell my mouth to open and then it's did did anyone see that because this is embarrassing as heck so I so I take the taco and I kind of put it back together but as I move it close to my mouth this time I'm like brain tell mouth to open, brain tell mouth to open. And as I get close, I realize I cannot open my mouth wide enough for a taco. I was like, what is going on? So the first thing I did was Google it. Never do that. <laughs> Don't Google. You can't open your mouth. But I called a buddy who's a dentist. I said, what's, what's going on? And as he explained, he said, you probably have TMD. And it's from grinding your teeth. I knew I grinded my teeth, and many of you may grind your teeth already, and some of you are like me, and you sleep with a night guard uh, to stop grinding teeth. But I was grinding my teeth so bad that I was probably doing it all the time. 
at stoplights, just grinding my teeth, at my computer typing emails, just grinding my teeth. So just like in what had happened is grinding my teeth so bad that I basically had like a lockjaw. I had got my mouth so knotted up that I could not open it for months. So just like anything, we, we take care of the symptoms. So I took care of the symptoms and an acupuncturist, a chiropractor. I don't know if any of you know this, but there are massage therapists that specialize on inside the mouth. Seriously. You lay on a table, they put the gloves on, and they just break down all that knot up tissue in your mouth. Just like kind of they do on your back, on your shoulder, there's there, and I'm laying there, and I'm just kind of crying. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm great, keep going. But it was awful. It was so painful. But just like anything, we take care of the symptoms, but we also have to take care of the root of the problem. The root of the problem for me was, was actually my job, where I was president of sales for an, a national contractor, and I didn't want to do that anymore. I felt that I, God was calling me to influence in a different way, and I wanted to get involved in executive coaching. As, as Ryan had mentioned, I have... I hired an executive coach years earlier, and it changed my life. I know it sounds extreme, but one, it did change my life because it's now what I do for a living, but it also changed my life because I just became a better father, a better husband, a better leader. And so the tension was that as I got better, I then, with president of sales role, I had 30 people reporting to me, and I was using these tools. I was telling them to be in, intentional with their kids, date their spouses, block out time in their calendar, for business development or whatever the work task was. And what's crazy is they got better. So they got, I got better, they got better. I'm like, I want to do this for a living. Well, the, ten, the tension was is I was president of sales, and I didn't want to go to basically ground zero of a coach. I made the most money I ever made. I didn't want to go down and start at zero. I had three young kids at the time. I, just, I was stressed. And I just felt this prompting by God to, to go do it. Well... Sometimes when we're not obedient, the decision's made for us. So in August 2016, I, in fact, was fired from this particular job. The private equity group that owned us was making some different changes, and they just said, hey, we're, we're shrinking down the country, and if you get rid of enough territories, you don't need a president of sales. So I was gone. First phone call I make is to my wife, and I said, babe, good news and bad news. Good news is I got fired, or I say bad news is we got fired. <laughs> That was not good news. Bad news is we got fired. Good news is we have now clarity because I've been wanting to go do this for a living. The other good news is we have a four-month severance package. Can we try this coaching for four months? And if we make it work, then we'll go, give it a go. So she said yes. So at the end of four months, through God's provision, 50% of my income was coming from coaching. The other 50%, I partnered with a local manufacturer in Cincinnati to help with business development. So that began the journey. So I started getting speaking engagements. This next slide is a picture of me in a, in a family room of a guy's house. I got bigger speaking engagements. And so that just started to start to climb up from 50-50 to 75-25. In, in June 2019, I published my first book called Win at Home First. And here in this picture, I've got my, my family. I made them wear these T-shirts <laughs> with the hopes of selling more books. It actually worked. I, I don't think the t-shirts worked. But I did, sell, I did sell some books. And so a guy at Forbes magazine says, one of seven books everyone on your team should read. So cool things were happening. 
Then next, I got on a bunch of different podcasts, one of which was Family Life, which is a large international faith podcast. I then launched my own podcast called Win at Home First, where I interview different business leaders every other week and talk home and work and faith. I say all of this to say there was momentum. I was following the signs of God. We went from 55 to 50-50 uh, to 75-25 to 90-10 to eventually my family decide in 2020 we're going all in. I'm married. That's my wife, Holly. I've got three kids. Camden, who is now 18. Cam, uh, Kylie's 18. Camden is 14. And Caleb is 10. When we decided to go all, all in, leave corporate America, it was March 1st, 2020. Bad time to launch a business. If anyone ever, if you want to know when to launch, when not to, I'll tell you when. COVID was March 1st, 2020. And on March 13th, 2020, I don't want to walk down memory lane of anybody, but I was not like Joey here in this picture. I was not all, oh, shucks, March 13th. You got the shirt on and everything. I was not like Joey in this picture of, oh, shucks. It's a, you know, that, what, what, what a bummer that is. On March 13th is the day all travel restrictions kicked into place. The stay-at-home mandates, all that happened. I'm not a superstitious guy, but I think Friday the 13th is kind of crazy that that happened. So I was, I was scared, frustrated. I lost 35% of my income right then because cancellations came in. We just decided we're going all in the family to do this. My wife did, does not... It does not work, and so this was all of us thinking, like, and I was like, what the heck? So I'm frustrated, but I'm mad at God. It's like, what about these signs, 50-50, 75-25, like, weren't we doing this together? Like, I thought this was the thing we were doing, God, what happened? So for the last decade, I've been pretty good, I don't hit every day for sure, but of quiet time and spending time in my journal and scripture. So these are some of my journal entries. March 23rd, 2020, Lord, I need you, I am just beat down tired and frustrated. Business seems down and out. Maybe that's how some of you were then in 2020, just like I was, and we're not alone. We're in the battle together. But some of you may be experiencing this right now. Just the feeling of things, of pressure, inflation, political, whatever the case may be. Maybe you've been knocked down with a health scare. Maybe something's happened. You just feel down and out. Next journal entry. March 25th. God, I am really trying to slow down my mind. I had such a panic or rush feeling in the past about how I had to grow the business or else dot, dot, dot. A lot of it is out of comparison. Maybe some of you, you're, you're, kind of, you're comparing your life to others. I mean, we, we all do it. Sometimes we sit in a little too long, though. Your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house, the Instagram photos of their vacation versus your vacation. How many Snapchat streaks someone has versus how many you have? But it's just comparisons. It's like, Lord, I'm comparing how I'm handling 2020 versus everyone else. Please forgive me. Some of it was out of fear. The fear of, I want my kids to go to college. Will I be able to afford college? At this rate, if I've lost 35%, maybe I'm going to lose the next 65%. I'm scared. Which brings us to this next slide of April 1st, 2020. What am I supposed to do? Where I just aggressively circled it. 
The good news is I got an answer. A full disclaimer, or it is not one word answer. But over the coming week, I started to get pointed to different scripture. I started to get different cool stories of resilience from a guest on a podcast, or just client stories or friend stories, just things that started to build up some kind of this momentum. So the first one was a phrase, rise and go. It actually came out of scripture. I uh, do the ESV, English Standard Version, like many of you do. I was reading Acts at the time, which is, which is fun that you guys have been on Acts with this influence journey and spending some time in Acts 27. Well, at the time, I was in Acts 8, 9, and 10. Three different individuals are told to rise and go. I want to take a look at each of these three. Acts 8, verses 26 and 27. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Philip had a lot going on. He was a busy man being a disciple, and to be told to rise and go and to go talk with basically the CFO of the queen. That's a big deal. He had to build up the courage to get out of what he was doing to go do something of significant impact. There's many of us who are being kind of that nudge to go be influenced, right? What are we going to go stand up for, as we talked about a few weeks ago? What do you have hope for? What are you going to do that you're being called to go after, to rise and go? And so we see Philip doing it. This, then the next one was Acts 9, which totally kind of just rocked my world when I saw this. Because Acts 9 is the conversion of Saul into Paul. For those that don't know all of this story, Saul was the biggest persecutor against Jesus to the point of having people murdered. To, he was converted then to Paul, the biggest person for Jesus, and Paul wrote and contributed to a lot of the New Testament. In the middle of that conversion is this story of Ananias. Acts 9 Verses 10 through 11. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he was praising. He's praying. He was told to rise and go. That's, that's crazy. To go rise and go and talk to Saul, that's like us being told to go talk to Putin to stop the murder. Or back in the day, go tell Hitler to stop the murders. Like, this was not just an easy, please go to the grocery store and get something for me. This is to go talk to somebody just crazy, for lack of better words. But he had to rise and go. So for some of us, we've got to rise and go and step out of the, the ho-hum my, what my life is, or I feel defeated, but to actually rise and go. And the very last one is Acts 10. So I'm getting these three in a row during this time in 2020. Acts 10, verses 19 and 20. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter also busy, has a lot going on in his life, is told to rise and go and go talk to these three powerful men. 
So all this is just happening. You're like, man, I, I, I need a rise to go. I need to get out of my pity party of losing 35%, maybe losing more, uh, worrying the fear. I need to step up and go do some of these things that I'm being called into. Next that takes place is I'm reminded of a vision or of an illustration I drew. In the book, Went at Home First, I, I drew this graph and put it in there. And it's this idea that everything, we want everything to go up and to the right in life, right? Over time, we want to make more money. If we're going to the gym to work out, we want to be able to lift more weight. But it's never a straight trend line. It never is. It's peaks and valleys. But here's what happens is when we're in a valley, we forget that it may go back up. All we can think about, whether it's the devil, whether it's limiting beliefs, whether it's head trash, we are just reminded of that last peak we were at. So let's say you're, you're working hard on your marriage and your marriage is going great, but all of a sudden you've gotten a couple of little arguments, fights lately, and it slides down and it's a valley. And, and the devil's just saying, hey, this is just your marriage. Your marriage is never going to get better. That peak last week, that was a fluke. Or if you're working on your temper with your kids and you've had a good run and you're at a peak and you haven't been yelling at your kids for a while for not brushing their teeth or not getting good grades or whatever the deal is and all of a sudden, boom, it slides down and you lost your temper and the devil says, man, you're just a bad parent. But see, that is such a lie. It's not. We are not defined by that past mistake. But when it happens, when we get in those valleys and those ruts, that's what we begin to think. So instead, we've got to look back at how far we've come, how much we've grown in whatever area that is, and then have hope for where we're going, right? If we're to share hope with others, like Andrew talked about last week, we ourselves have got to have hope. So then I was given this next visual, and this is one of a, of a ladder. If I'm going to come out of this valley that I'm in, I need like these ladder rungs, one at a time. Because a lot of times when we get in this valley, we want to run out of it. Super fast. I don't know if any of you remember this scene from Christmas Vacation, but Chevy Chase is climbing up the ladder. His neighbors walk out, and they're, you know, they're like, we can't, we can't stand you. We hope you die. Like, super nice things to say. Well, he did, in fact, go up the ladder too fast, and when he gets up to the top, he just goes, doo -doo 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 -doo. he falls right back down. He slides down. Same thing happens in our life. If we go up too fast, we try to run up, pull up our own bootstraps, I'll do this myself. If we want to run up, we're coming right back down. The other thing that happens in our life as we go up the ladder is we look left and we look right. It goes back to that idea of comparison. This picture is one from 2016 Olympics. Michael Phelps is racing against a South African swimmer. This South African swimmer had beat Michael Phelps numerous times before. Some people believe that at this moment is when Michael Phelps took over because the swimmer looked right at Michael Phelps. And if any of you ever have been a swimmer or a runner and your coach has ever said, don't look left, don't look right, because it will slow you down. And the same is true in our life. If we start looking left, start looking right, comparing what's happening in our life, it's going to slow us down. We're going to get that paralysis by analysis. We'll be stuck. We have got to stay in our lane that God's calling us to. 
I have no idea why some people have greater impact or some people are doing things over here. No clue. I, but we have to stay in our lane that God is calling us to, that area of influence that he wants us to have. So I started to put the, the, together this content that I was having. It was helping me to come out of it, out of this valley. And so I put it in the book, Rise and Go. In the book, Rise and Go, there's 20 chapters. The first 10 are to give you the courage to get up, and the next 10 is the confidence to move forward. As I put this together, I shared it with a bunch of different leaders to get their endorsement. I'm going to share an endorsement with you, and I don't share this to brag at all. I share this as a reminder that everyone gets knocked down. Ron Kitchens is a guy, I loved his book, Uniquely You. He's big in the nonprofit space. He was up in Michigan, now he's in Alabama. I had him on the podcast. I just, I loved his story. But when I got this endorsement, it says, when Corey asked me to read and review Rise and Go, unbeknownst to him, I was at one of the lowest points of my life. My career was in flux. I was in the middle of a health crisis, and I discovered I could not answer the question, what do you want? For me, Rise and Go has become my daily playbook for leading myself, my business, and my home. As I said, I don't share this to brag about what he says about the book. I was just as moved by his comments that he'd been knocked down. That it's like, wow, everyone's getting knocked down. So what I want to do is I want to share three of the chapters, three of the ideas from the book. As I said, there's 20 different big ideas in the book. I want to share three of them. I'm going to ha ask you some hard questions. You're not going to know the answers to them. But as I ask these questions, from, write down what comes to mind right now or put it in your phone. Over the next couple weeks, while you're in quiet time, while you're driving around, process these questions as well as share them with your community, your spouse, your friends. The first question is the question that actually Ron mentioned he can't answer. What do you want? I'll let you have awkward signs while I get water. Seriously, what do you want? In order for us to lead people, in order for us to influence people, we kind of we need to know where we're going, right? People want to follow a leader who knows where he's going. Where there is no vision, the people will perish. So what is it that you want? So for some of you, it may be something old that's kind of brewing up again. Like, man, I just, my back hurts. I just, I need to get back to the gym. I used to play guitar. It's how I connected with God. I want to start playing the guitar again. Great. These things that we want, they could be big or small, but it's this idea of if God is prompting you to do something, it's something worth pursuing. Right? Delight in the Lord who will give us the desires of our hearts. And for some of you, it's something new. Maybe you want to write a book. Maybe you want to launch a new business. But there's something you're being prompted to go after. And what's interesting about this, this isn't just like, hey, you know, do whatever I want or, you know, kind of put God's genie in the bottle. The very first words that John captures, that Jesus says in the book of John is, when two disciples approach him, he says, what are you seeking? In the book of Matthew, two blind men come up to Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want healed? The reason Jesus is asking these questions, and he asks them to us as well, 
it helps us have some focus. It helps us have some drive. It helps us to have direction where we want to go. So what is it that you want? And my question is, why are you not going after it? I want to share a client's story, just a, a, a client, a friend's story, is I asked Kyle all these same questions. And he gave me a, long, you know, a list of these different things he wanted. And there's a lot of standard things that we have, want to be a good parent, want to be a good husband, and all a great list. But one jumped out, to paint again. It's like, what, to paint again? So we go through the, over the series of calls to, to paint again. He went, he went and bought canvases, and he bought paint. And we start blocking out time on his calendar. One day I get a knock on my door. And it's a package. The very first painting he made after years of not painting was this one. And what's crazy, it's amazing. I mean, the detail of the derailleur, the bike, the frame. And what's unbelievable is, well, I didn't know what I was like, encouraging. I didn't know if I was encouraging a cruddy painter or a fantastic <laughs> painter. I don't know what I was doing, but it worked. But here, you fast forward to right now, I'm still friends with him, I watch him on Facebook, and he's painting, he's still a husband, he's still a father, he's still a leader, but now he's painting, and it's a better, healthier outlet that he's able to connect with God, and he's blessing and influencing others through his artwork. So what is it that you want? Second question. We processed some of this last night around the, the fire, some of us men, is what are you focused on? So often we are focused on what we don't have. We're focused on the to-do list of things that are unchecked on the boxes. I know in my own marriage, if I'm in a negative spot or I think Holly is just being annoying or she's just asking all these questions of me of anything I do, if I come home, she could say 10 different things. But if only one of them's negative... I'll hear it. I'll be like, yeah, that's right. I knew she wouldn't support me. I knew she'd get mad at me. But if I'm in a season where I know she's supportive and loving, if I come home and she says something and one of it's negative, I'll just be like, I'll brush it off because I'm not focused on it. So as we climb up the ladder, what are we focused on? As Paul talks about, consider all things joy. I learned this the hard way. A handful of years ago, I took my daughter to South Carolina for a coach's conference. The very first night, we, are, we break up in a, in, into pairs, and her and I are a pair. And we, ask, we answer all these different questions. You know, what, what are challenges in your life? What are breakthroughs? What are you celebrating? All these different questions we answer. And my daughter goes first, and she gives me the answers, uh, her answers to the questions. And, you know, it's, I'm an emotional dad already, and so I'm kind of tearing up. She's talking about how she loves dance and grateful for her dance and, you know, looks forward to continue dancing. She's grateful for her friends, and it, just, it was just it was awesome. Now it's my turn. So then I, I rattle off all my answers to her, and as I'm done, it's her, you know, she gives me feedback, and the and first thing she says is, Dad, you're the smartest man I know. Just kidding. She did not say that at all. I want her to say that. No, I get done, and uh, I said, you know, Kylie, what do you think? And she just looks at me, and she goes, Dad, you sound angry. 
like, what? Like, what do you mean I sound angry? And so as we unpacked my notes that I'd written down, basically everything was like, I wrote book number one, but I want to write book two, three, four, five. I have some neat speaking engagements, but I want more, more, more. I have some clients, but I want more, more. As she heard it, she really found out the, the truth of my heart at the time was I was not satisfied with anything. I was so focused on what I had yet to accomplish. Now, it's good to be ambitious. It's good to have drive, right? We were called to be fruitful and multiply. We were called to go harvest. Go, go and make disciples. Like there's, a, there's definitely some marching orders to our lives for sure. But if we're only focused on what is yet to be done, we'll never be satisfied. And it carried over to the point that my 16-year-old had to remind me that, man, <laughs> shape up. So I came home from that trip. I'm not the first one to ever do this. Gratitude journals have been around forever. But starting that night, I wrote down three things I'm grateful for, and I've done it almost every night. I've missed a few. Almost every night for two years. And it has totally changed my outlook on life. It's been awesome. To the point where I now lead coaching calls that way. We talk about it at the dinner table. It's just this natural posture. And what's crazy is if I have a new client, when I say, what are the wins or what are you grateful for? They have no idea. They're like, uh, let me think about it. Mm, man. Uh. But if someone I've been working with for a while, they, they come prepared because they're looking for it. So for you, as you're climbing up the ladder, as you're coming out of that valley, what are you focused on? Third question. Who is helping you up this ladder? An epidemic that's not talked about a ton. You hear about in some circles, but it is loneliness. The worst thing going on right now in this country is loneliness. Yeah, there's great things of phones, but man... It drives all of us to be by ourselves a lot. If we're not careful, all of our homes, we can all be in different rooms, or heck, even in the same room, all on screens. It's, it's a real, real deal, and you see it from a statistical standpoint. So for each of you, who is going to help you up that ladder? Because you will get knocked down again. I don't mean to be doomsday here, but it's all happening to all of us. Who's going to help you? Is it a spouse? Is it a good friend? Here you got Iron Council. I don't know what the women's group's called, but it's, it's awesome too. <laughs> but who is going to help you up? Jesus is always the right answer. Actually, Jesus is the right answer. But sometimes we need some humans to help us with, uh, with that piece, for sure. But for me... I learned this the hard way. About six years ago, probably about seven years ago, I was in the standpoint where some of you are like, oh, I really don't really have any friends. Well, Corey's up there on stage talking about friends. I hope he doesn't make me name mine because I don't have any right now. That's how I was. Seven years ago when I was the president of sales, I was traveling every single week. So during the week, I was super employee. On the weekends, I was super husband and super dad. And I was talking to my coach, who was one of my who's, but, you know, he lived in a whole other city, a state for that matter. And we're talking, I just, I was like, I just feel empty. And he said, because you're always pouring out, you're never getting poured into. And we came to the conclusion I had no friends. <laughs> so what I did, 
is I made a list of all the guys. Because I, mean, I had guys I could go get a beer or a coffee with. But I made this list, and I kind of did like speed dating. I went and hung out with one. I'm like, oh, I don't really ever want to hang out with them ever again. <laughs> if I went and hung out with some others, and like, this is awesome. And so I then put together a small group. We meet every Thursday morning, and we even now have an annual guide trip. It's awesome. But if that is you, and you are in a place of, I don't have a who, go get a who. We're so often focused on, on the what and the how, but sometimes the who is the most important. And this is, uh, I got a, this happens a lot. I've got, a, I've got a, a friend and a client that he is, uh, he was in the same boat as we were talking. I said, man, you need some friends. And I told him my whole story, and he said, all right. I said, what do you like to do? He goes, I'd love to go kayaking. I said, well, awesome. I said, send out an invite to your friends and go kayaking. Well, I got an invite in my calendar. I don't want to go kayaking. But I went, I support him, and it was a six, this is a 6.15 a.m. photo in Indiana. So I went and kayaked, I did the deal, and I went after him afterwards. I said, Brayton, this was awesome, this is cool. I'm not doing it ever again, because it's an hour plus from my house in this early. But keep doing it. And he is. He's got guys, they're kayaking, they're having a good time. So who is your who? A lot of times in life, if we, we, we see our peaks and valleys, we don't see other people's peaks and valleys. We think it's all just awesome. Joe Burrow, many of us uh, are familiar with because he took the, uh, the, the Bengals to the Super Bowl. Here's the deal with Joe, though. If you look at Joe's life, he has peaks and valleys. He grew up in southeast Ohio. He always wanted to go to Ohio State. He got there. That's a peak. But he didn't get any playing time. And by the looks of the depth chart, he was never going to get playing time. That's a valley, and I doubt it was just an afternoon. It probably was a long valley of, I only have four years of eligibility. This is the school I wanted to go to. Who else is going to take me? And no one actually was taking him for a while. He was... Some, it's kind of cool, some of his emails and um, uh, Twitter feeds are coming out saying uh, where he was looking for, no one was taking him. But then he got to LSU, so that's a peak. Heisman Trophy, National Championship, and I'm sure there's peaks and valleys along the way in there too. But the next thing, he gets drafted. Well, he gets drafted by the Bengals. <laughs> that's a valley. Actually, no. He was the number one draft pick. That, that's a peak. But then... He breaks his leg. That's a valley. And the, the analysts, the naysayers, everyone out there saying, oh, he may not come back. I mean, he wasn't even that mobile to begin with, and now he's got a bum leg? That's a long valley. But he does come back, and he makes it to the Super Bowl. That's awesome. That's a peak. However, even inside that season of the Super Bowl, he got sacked 51 times, the most in the NFL. It's all peaks and valleys. But Joe Burrow has a mantra. Bo Joe Burrow's mantra is, I am not going to accept losing. His team knows that. His team knows if he gets knocked down, he's getting back up. If they're down 17 points against the Chiefs, they're getting back up so they don't give up. What's your mantra? Maybe it's I rise and go. Does your... Kids know that if you get knocked down, it's all right. Dad gets back up. It's okay. 
Mom gets back up. Your coworkers, your employees, your friends know, hey, it's all right if they get knocked down because they get back up. All of us are going to get knocked down again. My hope, my prayer for each of you is that you are leaving here with just a few little ideas, a few things that if you do get knocked down, you've got something to grab a hold of. That each of you are leaving here equipped and empowered, whether it's through what do you want, whether it's what are you focused on, what, who's helping you up the ladder, the idea of just the terminology rise and go. That as God is going to be calling you to go do bigger and greater things, as God is calling you each to go influence people in your neighborhood, at your work, it's hard. You're going to hand out those flyers for the next series and someone's going to poo-poo it. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do this. And if you're not careful, you're going to get discouraged and you're going to go just kind of, ah, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to hand any more of those out. That's how everyone responds. But you've got to rise and go and to go and go. Where is God calling you to be? And so in order to be obedient, it does take that courage to get up. It does take that confidence to keep moving forward so that you can rise and go and go do what God is calling you to do. Otherwise, and we're going to live a less a life less than. So for all of us to live a life to the full, we in fact have got to rise and go. So love to have the worship band come up and as we start to close out. But my encouragement is to take these, these questions that I gave you just to process it. And anything else that God's given you while I've talked, not, not that I even said, but some prompting you have to go do something. How can you go obedient and step into that? Thank you guys.